Swivel. From Swivel Media and the Product Bus, this is The Bootstrap. I'm Scotty Allen. The Bootstrap is your source of news and resources all about building startups from scratch. On this episode, we're talking about startup pitch red flags. So it's Tuesday, which means that this is a Bootstrap Bytes episode, where our producer Declan McGee and I get stuck into a particular topic related to early stage startups. And this time around, Declan asked me about my startup pitch red flags. This is a list that I have developed and added to over time of words or phrases that immediately give me pause when I hear them in a pitch. They're all statements that send the wrong message about your idea and about you as a founder. So we are going to work through those. If you say any of these things, you're going to wash your mouth out with soap and we're going to find you better things to say. Just before that, a couple of things. First off, we now have our own Instagram page, The Bootstrap Startups from Scratch. We now are on Threads, which is the non-evil short message uh, platform alternative as the underscore bootstrap. And we would love for you to follow us there. We will be aiming to uh, make sure that our core links are posted on all of our platforms that includes our existing LinkedIn page, but we will be trying to vary the content that we post on those different platforms. So if you are there, please give us a follow and a shout out. We would really appreciate it. And the other thing that we'd like to ask is if you haven't already subscribed or followed the show on your podcast app of choice, please just press pause, take a moment to do that now. And if you felt moved to leave us a positive rating and review, we would really appreciate it. It helps other people find the show. We are getting some fantastic feedback from listeners in Australia and starting to uh, find an audience beyond that. And the best way for us to do that is for you to help amplify the show through ratings, reviews, sharing it with people that you think might be interested, giving us a like on social media. We are loving doing this. We're really enjoying the feedback that we're getting. We'd love more people to hear it. So thank you for partnering with us in that. And after this short break, we're talking startup pitch, red flags. Hey, Scotty, how you doing today? I am very well, Declan, and you? Yeah, good, good. Busy as per, but always the best way to be, I guess. Always the best way. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're talking about startup red flags. So we've, we've talked about this a little bit behind the scenes, but what does that mean to you when you talk about your pitch red flags? Sure. So what I mean by startup pitch red flags are, these are five things. It was a list of four, but I've added a new one that when I hear them in a pitch, they immediately make me switch off or get distracted with questions. And so it's wording that we thought it'd be worthwhile talking through with people so that you can think about whether or not you say versions of any of these and what are some better things to say instead. Yeah, some stuff to steer clear of and then hopefully some 
some suggestions as well. Do you want to run through these in backwards order? And then by the end of the podcast, we can figure out what your biggest startup red flag or pet peeve is. Sure thing. So we have five, we have a top five. So we're going to go in reverse order. So number five is it's a marketplace. And there are a lot of highly successful startups that are marketplaces. The reason that that always is a stopper for me or a point where I ask a million questions is that the more points of interaction that you have in a product, the more different user groups that you have to acquire in order for a product to be successful, the more different avenues that you have to share revenue through, the less likely it is that a marketplace can be commercially successful. And what when we think about the problems that we are solving, often marketplaces are things that are come up as ideas. Oh, some people have trouble finding this. We could connect them to people that need that, whether that is a service or a product. But whenever I hear those pitches, it's very rare that there is a well thought out commercial model that goes alongside it. And it does not mean blanket that they can't work, but the main thing that you've got to answer before you go any further in trying to build this out is how does it make money? Mm -hmm. There are two-sided marketplaces, which means that you've got two different personas that you've got to understand and you have to be able to bring into the platform. I was presented or pitched a three-way marketplace a little while ago where they didn't realize that there were three different components in it. And it was like, so you've got to get three different people knowing this is here, using this, and two of those people need to somehow make money out of it. So it's just that that simple maths thing of a marketplace might be something that you use to build an audience to work out other ways to monetize the audience. Mm. But if it is simply, we're going to run something and we're going to take a cut of it, then it is a pure volume game because the cut that you can take off of even transactions and be competitive is small. And so it means then that you need to be doing a high volume of transactions in order for that to be successful. So the reason that it's a marketplace is always a red flag for me is that I'm usually right in assuming that the commercial side of it hasn't actually been proven or thought through. Yeah, and something with that many different avenues and different customer bases as well. For a first time a founder especially, it's more likely that it hasn't been thought through, I guess, because maybe someone who's done this before will know how complicated that is. Yeah, 100%. I think it is something that it's an easy first time founder startup idea. And again, it doesn't mean that that can't work, but it is the the number of times that I've been picked something that on the surface makes sense as a problem. You've got something that people need, certain people need it. But when you come down to, wait, how does this make money? That's where where the idea often falls apart. So it's not saying don't have a marketplace. It's saying if you're going to pitch a marketplace, then you need to have the numbers really well worked out. Yeah. Awesome. And in terms of the next red flag, what would that be? My fourth red flag is we have a Figma. Mm. And I'll explain what I mean. Figma, if you don't know, is a fantastic tool that UI designers can use to mock up a product and test the UI design and even the functionality of it. 
So you can build essentially a clickable prototype of a product in Figma. The danger with we have a Figma is that if the designs in that Figma haven't actually been scoped out in terms of how they are going to be developed, then all you have is a clickable prototype. And I see people where they conflate that with the product or what they are demoing is something that hasn't been proven out that it can actually technically be done. Mm. So in the, I guess, uh, proper way of approaching development, step one is scoping out requirements and looking at what the technical uh, requirements will be based on the requirements of the users. And we only then start prototyping design once we have that really clear understanding of what needs to be developed. What I see sometimes is people will go the other way, where basically they're iterating on what the product could be through a designer. And a designer's job is not to guarantee that everything that they're designing is technically possible or understand where it all comes from. Mm. And I've seen a couple of examples where there are like really cool dashboards or analytics in a design. And when I've tried to get into the nitty gritty of amazing, where does this data come from? The answer is like, oh, well, we don't really know. That's like the designer that will work it out. And that generally doesn't work. We haven't proven that it's successful. Mm. Also, I've seen people get very ahead of themselves in terms of demoing that clickable prototype to sales prospects and selling off the back of it without, again, proving that it can actually be built. If you're selling off the plan on a, a townhouse, in theory, anyway, the planning is done, the approvals are done. It's all been costed out. It can be built. There's not a question of, of whether or not this is possible. Mm. It is when you're ready to pay, we're ready to build. If you haven't done that scoping with a, a, a web-based product or an app, then designs don't tell you anything. Designs don't tell you if it's technically possible. They don't tell you how much it's going to cost to develop it, et cetera. So we have a Figma is something that has just started to make me a little bit sick on the tummy, make me want to ask questions for, okay, what do you mean by that? Wait, how did you get there? Yep. Uh, so that that is why that's my fourth red flag. And just as a little follow-up, at, at what stage then do you think a founder would be well-placed to have designs like that and to be showing those off? There are things that we know that we're going to need when we have this business in mind. We're going to need a logo. I'm very visual. I love doing that as a way of just kind of helping understand what it is that I'm doing. But we just need to understand that until we have actually proven out that the idea is going to be commercially viable, all of that is window dressing. It's deck chairs on the Titanic. So I would say... Uh, that once we have a really clear understanding of the, first of all, that we have a solution that people will buy and we may need to do some little level of mock-up of what that might look like to prove that out. What we don't need to do is fully design a product to prove that out. That's where we get into trouble. So definitely, you know, we don't, we, we want to have an understanding of that, but really it should come behind that real validation, will people buy? There's lots of simple ways and low-cost ways 
to validate that you've got a solution that you can sell repeatedly. We're falling into this trap of the MVP instead of being that first lo-fi prototype is the first fully working version of the product that we imagine. And we spend time and money building that without anyone looking at it. Mm. So not first, I guess is the answer. It's easy. We need a logo. We need whatever. You don't need any of that until you actually have something sellable. I've worked with lots of people who have got branding, logos, websites, legal agreements, et cetera, Mm. who end up not having a sellable product. It's tempting to get caught up in all of that, isn't it? Because that can be the really fun stuff and the stuff that really feels like you're getting it off the ground. But the nitty gritty that you've got to do beforehand can be a bit more, I don't know, grounding. I'm always a fan of the organic idea. Like I've done both. I've done ones where I've had brilliant ideas and spent time making everything pretty, then having to kind of really work backwards to, okay, yes, it's pretty, but I haven't successfully articulated what problem this solves for people. Whereas Product Bus, as an example, is something that was developing and making money before it had a name or a brand or a website because it was something that I was providing and validating in in that really organic way. So I, I'm kind of a fan of like let's let's see if we can make money first and then let's invest in that. It's easy to get sidetracked yeah. down those rabbit holes. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, coming up on number three, what have we got on the list? So these next couple are a little bit more amorphic in terms of it's like the implications of these statements that I think that people really need to think through. And this one is no one else is doing it. Mm. So that to me is always a red flag and a pitch for two reasons. One, it means you haven't done your research because there may not be anyone doing it in the way that you are saying that you're going to do it, but are you really saying that no one else is already solving this problem or trying to solve this problem? Right. It's something that can really sound either arrogant or just ill-informed. And the number of times where that's been said to me, where I can do 10 minutes of a Google search and realize, oh yeah, you're totally wrong. It's just disheartening. Then the other side of no one else is doing it is that maybe no one else is doing it is because it's not viable. Mm. And I had a meeting this morning with a, a, a client where it's just an idea at this point. And that's one of the questions that we're asking. It's like, people haven't done this. It's pretty niche. Have they not done it because there's not actually a way to be commercially successful when you're doing this? So it's a, it's a statement that might sound like confidence it might sound like oh you know no one else is doing this Mm. but what it flags to me is you haven't done your research or you you're believing too much in this without facts to go alongside it so best avoided and if you're trying to talk up i suppose in a pitch scenario the the fact that your product or your idea is unique what might be some better ways to to bring that up or to bring that to the forefront of your pitch. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think no one else is doing this it, it, across the board is just messy. Mm. Right? It, it is because it, it can be, these are the current ways that people are trying to solve this problem. This is why this solution is better. Mm. So definitely there are ways of demonstrating this is a unique solution. Mm. And even that sort of language is something that, 
I would still be like, oh, is it? I think you've got to you've got to do your research first, and then really show people have tried this before and it hasn't worked for X reason. I think maybe sometimes we use language like this and the next two I'm going to talk about exactly as you said because we want to really sell people on the idea because we really believe in it, mm-hmm. and what we're actually doing is undermining confidence in our idea by talking in extremes that we can't back up. Right. So it's about being a little bit more grounded, I suppose. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And then, well, you brought up our number two. So what's on the list there? Number two is it's a no-brainer. Right. So, and the reason that that one always makes me pause is it's kind of similar to no one else is doing it. It's like, it's a no-brainer. Well, if it's a no-brainer, why aren't people doing it already? Yeah. If it's a no-brainer, then what? Why do? Why would I be interested in lending my expertise to it if we don't have to think about it? It is a. Uh, I mean, look, I've said it. There are times where things you you in in the moment where you're like, oh my gosh, that just makes total sense. It's a no brainer. Yeah. That's different from that's your pitch. It's a no brainer, particularly if you're asking for money. Yeah, because yep. then it, then it is really a like well wait if it's a no brainer then why do you need my help to to do this yeah and so it's language that often doesn't communicate what you think it communicates nothing is surefire in this mm. space because if it is you don't need to pitch it to anybody yeah 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 it is it it is a risk it is a and and also at the start of the validation journey everything is learning. We don't know. We are working on assumptions. That's not bad, but Mm. we've got to be really comfortable that we're working on assumptions. And what we want to do is answer them as quickly as possible. It's a bit like if you have an illness that isn't able to be diagnosed in a simple test, then what doctors have to do is get a lot of assumptions about what the possible most likely things are and then test to either rule it in or rule it out. And the elimination of some of those things is actually part of the diagnosis because some things they present as a set of symptoms. It's not as simple as a test that says you've got X. Someone ultimately has to put the pieces together and make a call that this is what it is. And so in that, we don't say, why don't we just decide that you've got lupus for 12 months and see how we roll with it. We want to work that out as quickly as possible. Right, mm. because time's of the essence. And so in the same way, that's the way that we should be treating testing our assumptions in this space is what's the quickest, fastest way to test this. And so no-brainer are things that communicate to me, you haven't really put thought into this because there are objections to everything and part of it is ruling them out or ruling them in. And once you've been through that process, it's nothing's a no-brainer anymore. So yeah. <laughs> we can definitely use better language. It's okay just to say this is a really exciting idea to explore. Yeah. That yeah. that's 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 what it is. This is a really exciting idea to explore. Hmm. I think those two, those last two, the it's a no-brainer and no one else is doing this, they can be really linked to the startup dream, which is oh. the, you know, lightning bolt moment in the middle of the night that just solves everything (laughs) but like we've talked about a bit you've brought it up a couple times on the show when people look at things like uber or airbnb what you don't realize or what the majority of people don't know is that they weren't what they are now when they started it was a process of iterating and and testing to see what worked and starting 
yes. small. Yep. This is what I love about the pure validation process when we get to work with things where it is literally just an idea, is that it, it is easier to test different things, discard ideas when they're mm. just ideas. It's so much harder when you've poured time and money into making something and then you're trying to find that yeah. fit. So it is just a process and something about this sort of language of it's a no-brainer, no one else is doing it. It also makes me question if the founder has actually got the resilience and the stamina to go through the process they're going to have to go through in order to be successful because it is not going to be easy. It doesn't just take off immediately. And I think that one leads very naturally into the number one pitch red flag. Yes. And look, this is new. I've just experienced this so many times recently that I've, I've got to put it up at number one and it is, this is the next unicorn. Mm, Right. I am going to tell you right now, if you say that to me, I am going to (laughs) run in the opposite direction Yeah, because that is, there's a difference between belief Mm. and delusion yeah (laughs) and i've talked about this on a couple of different episodes where we've talked about unicorns unicorns don't like you don't sit around and go let's make a unicorn you Mm. work really 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 hard you try lots of things and take lots of risks to get to that point and it is not not to say that having that as a dream is bad but Speaking like it is a fait accompli and is very dangerous. Mm. What it often says is, again, it's like I'm I'm not in touch with the reality of the work that's going to be involved in this. This is that thing which I've said a couple of times is people want Uber in a box. They want to, to launch the next global phenomenon, not understanding that nothing launches as, as a global phenomenon. Yeah, launches, you know, groundswell. It's like whenever something comes out about the new scary platform that kids are using, you know, it was Omegle, it was Snapchat, it Mm. was whatever. By the time that actually makes the news, the kids are already going off that thing. Yeah. It's not because it's it's old news because Mm. things take off in segments and that might be a demographic. Yeah. So what I want to hear is look i've got a, a lot of enthusiasm in this mm. and, and and i've got a lot of belief that i think that this could be something really powerful but if you particularly people that are like this is the next unicorn and they can't show the steps to it the they they map out what the global empire looks like and yep. then have a giant investment ask to build a team to get there. And those are very far and few between. And that's definitely not something that you get funding for without a huge track record. Once you get to the point where you've got that reputation that whatever you do is likely to be successful, then you can raise on an idea. But that is not your first-time bootstrapping founder by Mm. any means, nor should they be trying to. And what often happens is that we that we go from this could be to this is. I had somebody say to me a while ago, 
I don't think you understand how big this is. And I had to stop and say, you mean how big this could be? Because right now it isn't mm. anything. And yeah. ideas are cheap. Ideas yeah. aren't worth anything until they actually generate that, that real value. Mm. So I, I, I didn't have this here because I it thought it sounded too farcical that people would actually say this. But the number of times <laughs> now that I have gotten, this is the next unicorn. Yeah. And recently I've had someone get very angry at me for not reflecting that belief back to mm -hmm. them where it was like, there's nowhere to start here. You, you, yeah. You're asked. Part of the way that I operate is that I don't want to take money from people who shouldn't be spending money yeah. on their idea. Mm. And so I will, I will say no. Yeah. And, and if I do, I will give the reasons why I don't think they should be spending money on it. And I will also say very clearly, this is just my opinion. And I, I wish you all the best. And if you make this happen, I will be at the front of the parade celebrating it. Yeah. It's simply a case of like, I don't feel like it would be a, a good thing to accept money for something mm. that I, I, don't, I think you need to do some more work on first. Yeah. And that, that's part of the, that's the nature of the way that I operate. Not everybody operates that way. That's, that, that's fine. But I think we've talked before about that kind of difference between being nice and being kind. Yeah. That nice is like, oh, great. Yeah, great. If you get some traction, let me know. That's what VCs say to people because, mm. they, they, you know, they, they don't want to invest, but they don't want to cut off their nose to spite their face. If you, if you happen to fluke it, they'll still happily profit off of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind is, kind is harder. Kind is honest. And it's just an opinion. Go get other opinions. Someone else might have a completely different opinion. But when you're that focused, it's like I can say I am uh, an Olympic gold medalist. Mm. but I haven't won one yet. I'm <clears throat> highly unlikely to win one. And so at some point that goes from belief and optimism to delusion. Yeah. So this is the next unicorn to me goes into the major red flag, number one alarm bells box. Yeah. And just on the point of being nice versus being kind, I think sometimes these founders can generate these overly high expectations themselves, but they can also be influenced. Uh, you told me a story about a valuation someone got that was, I think it was around 500. Someone told them it was a $500 million idea, something yep. like that. And yep. it, it just, it sets you up to fail because you have such grandiose, unrealistic expectations from someone that you think is, uh, has expertise. Yes. There are a couple of instances of that where if I could go back and just kind of stop that from happening whenever it happened, I would because the damage it does. Obviously, we're talking about adults here who are ultimately responsible for their own decision making and their own mm. judgment. But those sort of throwaway, yeah, sounds amazing. That they if people already have a really strong belief in it, they take that as confirmation. Yeah. They don't I've never heard anything that I do was just like, that's a terrible idea. Mm, it mm. is sometimes just a case of, oh, that sounds amazing. My questions would be, yeah, is this going to be an issue? Are we going to be able to show this? Let's find out what the next step is. And I, I think that it actually takes a lot of humility and willingness to try and fail at things in order to be that successful. What I see sometimes from the, you know, this is the next unicorn is people who don't understand at all 
the amount of blood, sweat, and tears that are required to get things to that point. You yeah. do not have founders that are just sitting back and pressing buttons and going to cocktail parties that achieve that. They are out there sweating, bleeding, trying because it, it's a otherwise. I think what ha- can happen is in with the this is the next unicorn thinking is that you start operating like a business when you actually don't have one. Yeah. Okay. And so mm. you have people. I'm always if we don't have repeatable sales yet i'm always concerned there is a danger that we end up kind of building what we think the business is going to look like and putting people Mm. in roles that don't have a direct line to revenue or you have people sitting in co-founder teams where something's pre-revenue and someone is like well that's that's sales that's not my responsibility Mm. and my line will always be until such time as we can sell faster than we deliver, everyone's job is sales. That yeah. doesn't mean that everyone has to be out there cold calling, but everybody mm. has to be wrestling with mm. the value prop, the messaging, prioritizing that over other things that might be nice. But yeah. if I'm a developer and I just want to write code, and but I still expect either to get paid or get equity in mm. something that isn't making money yet, and I don't want to contribute to the making of the money, then it's not a good fit. You're not in the right place. And yeah. so that's that danger is then people, they sink a lot of their own personal money into trying to build something and operate it like a business when it actually isn't. I've I've done a small version of that at one point, and I realized fairly quickly, I never want to be in the position where I have to turn around and say to somebody, I can't pay you anymore. Yeah, And so I will always be ultra cautious about what I agree on with people and ultra transparent about where things are at in terms of that engagement, because, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to burn people like that. That's what ends Mm. up happening is that you burn people because you're like, ah, this is about to happen. That's about to happen. And it's, it's a roller coaster. There are, until you get to that point where you have that really reliable income, Every day is a nail biter of like, is this going to come off? Oh, this might happen. Oh, it's not happening. And one deal is the difference between, man, we're going to be around for another six months or this could all be over. Um, yeah. But if you're, if you're saying, if you're walking around with the next unicorn, you're not thinking that way. You're not, mm. you're not fighting the fight. So big number one red flag. Yeah. Brilliant. It's all about moving forward, not with pessimism, but with caution and tempering things and that sort of thing. Absolutely. Part of what the product bus is really about is trying to help people to go through that process as cost-effectively and as painlessly as possible. And that starts early. Prevention is the cure. The That, that really proactive, let's work out if this is going to work or not. It can be a bummer to have to leave something on the table, but that is a hell of a lot less painful than having to leave years of work on mm-hmm. the table. Yeah. And it's not just like you're not going to have a business. It's not this, but what, what have we learned from this that we can take to a new idea or to a pivot? And the, the, the quicker that you do that, the more decisively that you, that you call it, the better state you're in to do that pivot to move to the next space. So it's like if you go through school saying, I've got a 99.9 HR. <laughs> it's like, well, you, you don't yet. You may not. Yeah. And honestly, mm. it really doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I think that's a brilliant point to wrap up on. There's the five startup red flags, things to steer clear of saying in your pitches. Any closing words for the listeners, Scotty? Just choose your words carefully. Mm. Just choose yep. your, your words carefully. And it's okay to be conservative. It is okay to have some ifs and buts in a pitch, in, the, in that early pitch. Overconfidence doesn't communicate what you think it does. Brilliant. Thanks, Scotty. And that's it for the bootstrap for this episode. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to subscribe or follow the show wherever you listen. And of course, we would love a positive rating and review to help others find the show. We now have our own LinkedIn page. Just search the bootstrap startups from scratch. We are now on Instagram and threads, and we would love for you to follow us on those platforms. Give us a like, a shout out, help other people find us there. And you can message us on LinkedIn or Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. The Bootstrap is a production of Swivel Media and The Product Bus. It was developed by me, Scotty Allen, and Declan McGee. This episode was produced and written by Declan McGee. We were edited by Sammy Perryman. Original sound design by Rob Clark. If you're an early stage founder looking for resources and practical help, check out theproductbus.com and get in touch. Swivel. 